Welcome to the New Life Philly Podcast. Every week, we share fresh insights as we explore the inexhaustible depths of the Word of God. We pray that you will be encouraged and challenged today as we continue in our study. Let's join in now. Lord, we thank you for your presence. Your Word says in your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. And God, we thank you that the promised presence is coming in its fullness. But Lord, even now, you have opened the way. When you died on that cross, the veil was torn in two, and we can be in your presence even now. So Lord, bless us and be with us, strengthen us. Let your presence be among us today to the praise and the glory of your name. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen, amen, and amen. You may be seated. Praise the Lord. I have a question quickly for Matt before you disappear. Matt, do you ever rap? Are you a rapper at all? You wish, but no. Okay. The only reason I ask is you hold the mic like this. That's how a, a rapper holds the mic. So maybe one day, maybe one day. Amen. 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 Praise the Lord, everyone. Praise the Lord. It's good to be with you. We want to continue to pray for um, all those who are getting hit by a hurricane today, or I think it's a tropical storm now, but just all the havoc that that can wreak um, in New England. Uh, so we want to pray for our brothers and sisters there. Um, all those in Mexico who have just gone through, I think, a Category 3 horrific hurricane down there, Haiti, um, with the earthquake and just COVID. And uh, Matt was also talking about uh, all the violence in our city. I talked to another young man this week who knew um, a young man who knew a, had a friend who knew the young man who was killed at uh, one in Alney and also uh, his girlfriend who was shot there. Um, there's a lot of crazy stuff going off, and um, this is a, a world under the grip of sin, but it is not beyond the redeeming power and love of our Savior. Amen? Amen. I uh, also just want to, uh, again, say to folks, we do have these connection cards now, and they are not just for visitors or new folks, but they're for anyone and everyone. We would love it. If you fill out a connection card, if you're here today, even if you have a prayer request, we will pray over the request that we get this week and always on this. Also, we still really do need more volunteers for different ministries, including uh, our children's ministry, including some of our technical work that we do here. We really do need volunteers, so consider that. But there is a big box in the foyer out there. You can't miss it where you can put your connection cards uh, after service. So fill something out, put a prayer request in there, and we will be praying for you or anything else that you have on there. Amen? Amen. Well, with that, let's get into the Word of God today. Hebrews chapter 11, you don't have to turn there, verse 6 says, Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Without faith, it is 
impossible to please God. You could build a, a, a sanctuary for him. You could do evangelism for him. You could give your life for him. But the Bible says without faith, it's impossible Impossible. Now, in the Greek, impossible, listen to this. In the Greek, impossible means impossible. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. You can't do it. And so, as we look at the scripture today, we're going to look at what faith looks like. What faith acts like. What faith actually is. I don't know believers in Christ that don't want to grow in faith. How many people here would like to grow in your faith? Amen? Amen. I hope that's everybody, even if you didn't raise your hand. I hope you want to grow in faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. That is a key for us, not only to grow in our lives, but to please our God. Amen. So let's stand together. And we're going to read a section of scripture here. It's a long one. And so we're going to do it responsively again today. And so the, the parts that are in bold, I want you to read. Uh, the very last verse we'll all read together, but it's a long uh, section here. And when you're reading, read with gusto. And as my wife, the retired teacher, used to say, read with your outside voice. Amen. Amen. Let somebody next door hear you when you read. So let's let's look at the word of God. When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came. And when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him. My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed and around him. And a woman was there with suffering to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped. See the people crowding around you, his disciples answered, and yet you can ask, Who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Her 
While Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? When they came to the home, that's all right. When they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means, little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately the girl stood up and began to get, immediately the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. At this, they were completely astonished. Let's read this together. He gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this and told them to give her something to eat. Good luck not letting people know about this one, Jesus. Amen. <laughs> I'm going to pray in just a second. The title today is The Power of Real Faith. The Power of Real Faith. Let me pray. Father, um, we need to be a people of growing faith in you. And Lord, that needs to show up in our lives day by day, not to just be something that we think about in our heads, but something that shows up in our hands, in our feet, in our mouths, with every part of who we are. So Lord, I pray that you'll use the coming moments to speak your word and to quicken the faith of your people to the praise and to the glory of your name. We pray it in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. And amen. You may be seated. Praise the Lord today. The title again is the power of real faith. Here, here's my main point today. Here's what I want you to leave. Making sure you know when faith holds on to Jesus Nothing is impossible. Amen. When faith holds on to Jesus, we're going to talk about what that looks like today. Nothing is impossible. We're going to walk through this passage today. And there's four questions about real faith that I'm going to answer as we walk through the passage. Here they are. Where does faith come from? Number one. Number two, where is faith directed? Number three, what does faith do? And then finally, number four, where does faith lead? We're going to look at each of those as we walk through the text. Let's start with the first question. Where does faith comes, come from? Where does faith come from? And we'll see that in, in this story. Uh, it's interesting what is done in Mark's gospel and Matthew and Luke do exactly the same thing with this particular text. They take 
uh, one incident and wrap it around the other. It's, it's a sandwich technique. Uh, Chris talked about that not too long ago in another account in Mark's gospel. But what they do, the account of Jairus comes first, but in the middle of it, you have the woman with the issue of blood. And then you have the end of the Jairus and her daughter incident happening. You've got two things going on, but we want to learn from each and see what God is doing as they come together. Where does faith come from? What we see in both of these is that real faith comes from desperation. Somebody say desperation. Real faith comes from desperation. This father is a desperate father. This girl is not sick. She is not just having the sniffles or even something uh, worse than that. But the Bible tells us she is on her, her deathbed. Not just a sick bed. She is on her deathbed. This man is desperate. This woman has had an issue of blood in her body for 12 years. And according to the law of Leviticus, that would make her unclean. In other words, she would not be able to be in contact with other people. She had to be outside of the camp. If she was married, she couldn't be with her husband. If she had children, she couldn't be with her children. She couldn't touch other people. She couldn't be around other folks. She couldn't go and worship with the people of God. This woman was desperate. A point of death, desperation. And I don't think there's any coincidence that the Lord put these two stories together. It's the same way in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. These two stories are woven together. Two people who in many ways could not be more different from one another. We have, first of all, a synagogue leader, a man of high standing, a man who is well thought of in the community, a man who has means, he has money, he has position, he has stature. And then we have this woman, this woman who is poor, this woman who is despised, this woman who is an afterthought. Uh, The only thought of her is to have her stay away. We have a male and a female. We have rich, we have poor, we have high status, we have low status, we have respected and rejected, and they both come desperate to God. God will meet you no matter where you are at on any spectrum we can put together. When you come desperately to God, he will be there for you. Jairus and this woman come in utter desperation to God. Here's my question to us as we're gathered here this morning, if you're watching online. How much does your comfort and the intervention of temporary feel-good solutions water down your faith? In other words, what I'm asking is this. How, how, how come... We're not getting to this point of desperation with God. How do we stop coming to desperation? Let me put it this way. Most of you use your GPS when you're traveling somewhere. Well, if you took out your spiritual GPS 
and you look and you put in the location real faith. You can't get to that location unless you go through desperation. You've got to go to desperation to get to real faith. Now, here's what happens to us. We come, we're on our GPS trip, we're going to real faith, and we hit frustration. We hit difficulty. And what do we do? So very often what we do is we make ourselves feel better at frustration. We make ourselves, we do something or distract ourselves in some way that we don't get to that point of desperation because it hurts too much. And we've got too many other things that we can do to avoid that place of utter desperation. And so we avoid it. But here's what I want you to say to see when you avoid desperate, you avoid Jesus. When you avoid desperate, you avoid Jesus. Mm. The scripture says God opposes the proud, but he gives grace or shows favor to the humble. We've got to come to God in the fullness of our hurt of our desperation. Jesus said in Matthew 23, for those who exalt themselves will be humbled, but those who humble themselves will be exalted. This man and this woman had to come humbly before Jesus to present their need. She did it in a sneaky way. We'll talk about that in a minute. But they had to come to Jesus in their desperation and he touched them right there. Brothers and sisters, we need to be a people of humble, of humility in coming to God desperately, not fixing it up to make it look like we're pretty much okay. We're not pretty much okay. Faith comes from the desperation of humble people who deal with reality and not with a PR spin on their lives. And who live as if God is their only hope. Who live as if God is their only hope. When I was working on this sermon and I wrote down those words, I didn't write it down that way at first. I wrote down, and who know that God is their only hope. And I thought about that and I said, you know what, that's not good enough. Because many times there's about 18 inches or so between our brain and our heart, whatever that distance is. But many times we know a whole lot of things that never get from here to here. We never get past. We know so much, but it never shows up in the day to day way that we live. God help us. To live this thing, real faith comes from desperation. Secondly, where does where is faith directed? Real faith moves toward Jesus. Real faith always moves towards Jesus. Verse 22 says that one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He knew to go to Jesus. The woman, when she heard about Jesus, verse 27, she came behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I'll be healed. They both knew that somehow they needed to connect with Jesus. That's where real faith goes. 
Biblical faith, brothers and sisters, is never faith in our faith. Amen? It's not faith in how much faith I have. Faith in faith is actually faith in your own performance. If I can just gin up enough faith, if I can get enough faith, I'm going to become this man or this woman of great faith. But faith in faith is growing by the law and therefore misses out on the grace of God. Faith in faith won't get you where you want to be. It is not sustainable. The place of faith is in Jesus Christ. The one who has done what you and I could never do for ourselves. So here's the question. How did Jairus and this woman uh, come to faith in Jesus? How did they know to go to Jesus? I've got seven things on here. I'll look through them quickly. First of all, they heard about what Jesus was doing. Perhaps because this was all in Capernaum and that was his main headquarters in Galilee. Perhaps they'd even seen him at work before. I don't know. But certainly uh, they heard about what Jesus is doing. And number two, they meditated. Somebody say meditated. They meditated on what Jesus had done. Brothers and sisters, we need to be a people who meditate on the work of Jesus Christ, his finished work on the cross, his death, burial, and resurrection, his perfect life, and what he has done in your life. You need to meditate on the Lord. I, I wonder sometimes how much our, our lives are marked or not marked by meditating on the Lord. There's so many other things in this world that can fill up our minds. Some of y'all know it. football season is almost at hand. I hope you didn't watch anything on Thursday night. But football season is almost at hand. And I wonder sometimes if people in Philadelphia might be thinking more about Jalen than about Jesus. Amen. You're meditating on football. You're meditating on entertainment. You're meditating on all of these other things. But we need to meditate on the Lord. Meditate on him. I love the fact in uh, John 15, 5, Jesus says, I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me or dwell in me, or abide in me, and I in you, he says, you will bear much fruit. Why is that? Because the vine, uh, the, the branch needs to be connected in the vine. The source of life for the branch is the vine. He says, if you're connected to me, then you're going to bear fruit because apart from me, you can do nothing. How do we remain in him? We meditate on the Lord. Number three, they come to a point of crisis and desperation. Number four, they exhaust all of their other resources. There's nowhere else to go. There's nowhere else to go. We're going to go to Jesus. Number five, they remembered Jesus and believed that he could meet their need. They believed that Jesus was enough, that Jesus had what it takes 
They believed that Jesus could meet their need. I wonder what that might be like for some of us in this room today. What might it be like if you're watching on the stream? What might it be like? To actually believe that what you need the most in your life, what you need the most, where you need a breakthrough, where you are stuck, that Jesus can actually come and do it. What might that look like? For some of us with older adult children, it might look like getting a good night's sleep. Because even though if they've walked away from the Lord, if they've walked away from the church, it's believing that God's arm is long enough, that God is strong enough, that God can and will bring them back to himself. And so I can rest tonight. What might it look like for us? It might look like trusting God. It might look like trusting God's wisdom For a loved one who is sick or perhaps even with a terminal diagnosis, it might be trusting that whatever God does in his wise providence, it's going to be all right. It might be just trusting God in that. It might look like inviting people into your life for real accountability, for real change in your life. It might be trusting God that I can lay it all out before a brother or a sister and I can get the help. I'm going to do something a different way because what I've been doing hasn't worked. But I know God can do it in Jesus Christ. It might look like breaking away from old ways of thinking. Now, let, let, let me just put it this way. Many of you have walked with the Lord for a long time. How many people here have walked with Jesus for over 10 years? Raise your hand. Over 20 years? Raise your hand. Over 30 years? Raise your hand. Not quite as many hands. Over 40 years? Raise your hand. I'm not going to embarrass anybody with more than that. Amen? Some people have walked with God for a long time. But now my question, no hands raised. Are you growing in Christ now? Is there real change happening in your life over the last five years, over the last two years, over the last year, over the last month? Are you changing? Are you adapting? Are you growing? Do you see some things differently than you saw years ago? And is God expanding your horizons? Because I think one of the problems of faith very often is we get stuck in certain ways and this has to be the way it is. But God will blow that out of the water. Just ask Jairus, just ask this woman. God can do new things in new ways to reach new people for his glory. And he will do that. James puts it this way. In the same way, faith by itself, if it's not accompanied by action, is dead. In other words, faith without works is dead. God is calling us to changes in life that look like faith, that look like real faith. The last one on here. They overcame obstacles to walk by faith. I wonder sometimes... In this age where we have so much information, we have access to so many things, and we want to live life 
and do things in a way that's wise, in a way that's prudent, in a way that's reasonable, in a way that's sensible. But too many times I believe that with all of those things, and they can be and most often are good, but we can do everything in wise, prudent, sensible ways, and we leave faith out of the picture. Listen, I don't know any great work that's been done uh, in or through the church or God's people that has been something that you could write up on the whiteboard and say, if we do this, then this will happen and this will happen. No, if it doesn't take God, it's probably not a work of God. And that takes faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. So let's look at this third question What does faith do? Faith overcomes obstacles. We see the obstacles at work here. The woman had two great obstacles. One obstacle was the law. It's right in Leviticus, which talks about her condition and her condition as being unclean. The other great obstacle for her is the crowd. How can she get to Jesus? The law and the crowd are great obstacles for this woman because to get to Jesus, she's going to have to push her way through the crowd. That means she's going to have to break the law. And if you look at what her final goal is, her final goal is to break the law, to touch Jesus' garment. That's against the Levitical law. But she breaks through that. She presses through that. We're going to look at Jesus' reaction to that in a little while. But she's got these obstacles, but she's not stopped by that. She knows, she knows, she knows that the source of her healing has to be in Jesus Christ. And one way or another, she's going to get there. For Jairus, he's got all kind of obstacles as well. If you've read through, if you've been with us going through Mark's gospel this far, you know that the religious leaders and the religious elite and the Pharisees and the rulers have been uh, all against Jesus up till now. They have seen him as a rogue, a miracle worker who's doing things sometimes on the Sabbath and saying things that are out of pocket. They see Jesus as someone who is not welcomed into the synagogue, not into the temple, not uh, where did he get taught anyway? We'll look at that next week. But Jesus is not one who fit in with the religious establishment. And yet here is this synagogue leader at a point of desperation who says, I don't care about all that. My reputation, I don't care about all that. My little daughter is dying. I need help. Real faith overcomes obstacles on the way to heal her. The report comes that Jairus' daughter is dead. Look with me at verse 36. If you have your Bibles there, it says, Overhearing what they said, Jesus told him, Don't be afraid, just believe. That's an obstacle. He's on his way with Jesus to get his daughter healed, and on the way, he hears she's dead. I don't know about you, but that would be a pretty big obstacle to me. Amen? 
I don't think it's a coincidence that on the way there, there was another healing that Jesus did just even to help Jairus out to say, wait a second. I know he can do it. He did it for this woman. He can do it for my daughter, too. Amen. Amen. There's an obstacle to faith. Look, look at the rest of this. Verse 37 says he did not let anyone follow him except Peter James and John, the brother of James. How do we overcome these obstacles? I, I, I want to I look at two things. How do we come overcome obstacles? First of all, Jesus tells Jairus, don't be afraid, but just believe. In other words, we need to attack our fear with believing. We need to attack our fear with believing. Believing and walking in real faith is not the absence of fear, but it is a decision you make to walk forward in faith in spite of your fear. Jesus says to this man who's just got the news that your daughter is dead, he says, believe, I need you to believe. Don't fear, I need you to believe. Secondly, how do we overcome these obstacles? I love this because uh, as the crowd is in this place and as Jesus comes to them and says that the child is not dead but asleep, the Bible says in verse 40, they laughed at him. So now Jesus goes gangster Jesus on them. It says after he put them all out, he said, no, 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 no. You need to get out of here. You need to get out of here. And he just brings in three of his disciples, Peter, James, and John, the mother and the father. That's the whole crew that goes in here. How do we overcome obstacles? Sometimes you need to create a believing environment. Sometimes you need, when you're going through some difficult things, to leave a lot of people outside of the inner circle. And you need to just have your companions with those who will help you to get where you need to go. Everything is not everybody's business. We need to be people who know how to have that circle that's going to help us in our task of real faith and believing in Jesus. Here's what I want you to see here. Real faith is risky because you can never take hold of it until you let go of something else. The greatest obstacle to real faith is a mindset that values stability and comfort over the fulfillment of the Great Commission or even God's purpose in your life. We want things to be predictable, understandable, and comfortable, and God is calling us beyond that. God is calling us to a place that is greater than that. God help us. God help us as a church to walk past things and to move through things that can be difficult and hard to understand. But God is doing a work. I hope you see it here at New Life Church. God is doing a work in this place. He really is. Raise your hand if you know everybody in the church right now. If you look around the church, you know everybody. Nobody, I I raise my hand, I need to put it down because I don't know everybody. 
Amen. We, we have new people, different people. God is doing a work among us at New Life Church that we need to celebrate. But this is not an easy thing. It hasn't been easy. And here's the news, the, the news flash, the breaking news. It ain't going to be easy either. It's going to be hard. And as God gathers a multicultural family of God into this place, we're going to have to change and change and change again. There won't be just one way of doing things because we're going to need to change to be able to reach the people that God has given us to reach and to feed everyone who comes in the building. Amen. Everyone who comes into our life groups, everyone who worships together with us in any way, shape, or form. God is at work. Let me go on to the last question here. Question number four. Where does faith lead? Real faith leads to resurrection. Real faith leads to resurrection. I want you, I want you to see this with the woman, first of all, with the issue of blood. Verse 33 says, then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet, trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. He said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. Be freed from your suffering. This woman had a plan. And her plan was to get a secret healing from Jesus. Nobody needs to know. Jesus doesn't even need to know. Nobody else needs to know. I, I, I need to sneak in here, touch the hem of his garment and get out and I'll be good. Jesus said, that's just not going to work for me. <laughs> and so when she touches his garment, he he says, someone touched me. The disciples say, you must be crazy. Everybody's touching you. But he knew that power had gone out from him. And she comes to Jesus trembling, the Bible says. She is fearful because what is he going to do? I know I have broken the law. I know I have gone out of bounds. But he knows I did it, so I might as well fess up to it now. Listen, her great faith is not only in touching Jesus' garment. Her great faith is, to respond, is responding to him right now. I'm the one that did it. And the Bible says she told him the whole truth. She, she told him what she had been through. She told him what her life had been. She told him the whole truth, what she had been through. And Jesus did not rebuke this woman. Jesus did not have a negative word to say to this woman. In fact, what Jesus says to her, he never says in the rest of all of the Gospels, he calls her daughter. He says, my daughter, the story of two daughters here, this daughter, 12 years with an issue of blood. The Bible says the life is in the blood for 12 years. Her life had been oozing out of her. We have another daughter, Chira's daughter, 12 years old, 12 years old. When this woman's life began to leave her, it was at the very same time that Jairus' daughter was born. Twelve years, twelve in the scripture. We have twelve apostles. We have uh, the twelve tribes of Israel. There are twelve gates around the heavenly Jerusalem that's coming down to earth. There is this number twelve all over the place. It's a number of completion. It's a number of fulfillment. This woman tells Jesus her whole story, and he is, and she is loved by him. 
As vulnerable as she made herself going through that crowd, she made herself vulnerable again when she told the whole story and Jesus said, I love you. You're my daughter. Go in the shalom of God. Go in peace. Go in peace. Real faith leads to resurrection. Look at verse 41. Speaking of Jesus with the daughter of Jairus, he took her by the hand and said to her, I love Mark's gospel, Talitha Kum. It's the only gospel that records the actual words that Jesus spoke here in Aramaic, which means, little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately, the girl stood up, began to walk around. And here is where we learn in Mark's gospel that she was 12 years old. In Luke's gospel, we also learn that she was his only daughter, little daughter, only daughter, 12 years old. At this, they were completely astonished. Jesus reveals himself to be the Lord over death. He takes death, wrings its neck, and brings out life. Jesus is the one. This is a foreshadowing of resurrection. This little girl is probably going to become an older woman one day, and she's going to die again. But guess what? Because her faith is in Jesus, the one who raised her at 12, her faith is in Jesus. She will never die. Amen. She will be with him forever. The resurrection power of Jesus is the ultimate end of real faith. And that's true for each and every one of us. Jesus himself subjects himself to this ugly death, even death on a cross, Philippians chapter 2 says. But as he does that, On the third day, the Bible tells us he gets up from the grave with all power in his hands. That's the end of real faith. So as I close, let me just ask this question to each person here and everyone watching us. What is hindering you from living out real faith on a deeper level in your life? What is hindering you from living out a deeper faith in your life, real faith on a deeper level. And here's two things I want you to consider. What are you holding on to that you need to let go of? What are you holding on to that you need to let go of? You need to seek God about that. And what are you avoiding that is keeping you in a stuck place. Let me just tell on myself, tell this little story, and I'll pray and be done. A while back, I remember being in a very stuck place in my walk with God, in my faith, and I didn't even know how stuck I was. I didn't feel desperate because I had all these other little things that kept me from desperate. Frustrated, maybe. Difficult, maybe, but not desperate. I didn't know just how stuck I was. But I realized at a certain point in time 
It was brought back. It was brought to my attention through a very difficult situation that I had some real issues that I needed to deal with because God was dealing with me. And I had to look at some things that I had avoided looking at my whole life about my family of origin. I idealized a lot of things. I made things to be something that they never were. But now God was having me pull that back and look at reality and deal with what was real. I couldn't live in my emotional safe place that didn't deal with reality at all. God calls us to walk with him into difficult realities. Jesus meets his people at the intersection of reality and grace. And and you almost always have to go through desperation to get there. Brothers and sisters, God wants us to be a people of real faith, of growing faith, of radical trust in the God who can do all things. Let me pray. Father God, I pray that you would just draw near to your people, each and every one of us, even now, today. Lord, help us to recognize those places and those ways where we continue to avoid desperation. Help us to be aware, bring to remembrance as we pray those things that we use to avoid dealing with the hardest things, the most difficult things in our lives that seemingly keep us safe, but really keep us stuck and away from you. Lord, I pray that you will make us a people of real and growing faith so that Jesus Christ will be glorified and exalted in each of our lives and through this church. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope that you've been blessed today by the preaching of God's Word. Join us every week for fresh insights on the New Life Philly podcast. If you would like to reach out to our church for more information or if there's some way we can pray for you, please visit newlifephilly.net or email newlife at newlifephilly.net. May the Lord richly bless you this week.